Hey everybody, welcome back to Beers and Careers. This is Mark Agustinelli, and as always, Beers and Careers is brought to you by the Davis Companies, www.daviscos.com. That's D-A-V-I-S-C-O-S.com. Um, talent is in high demand, and the folks at Davis can help you find the right engineering, manufacturing, IT talent to help you stay on track and uh, hit your business goals, especially as we look forward to 23. Uh, today's guest, Marlo Fogelman. Uh, Marlo, awesome um, guest and kind of a perfect uh, guest as we turn the new year as well because Marlo wanted to be a lawyer and uh, went to law school, ended up taking a PR job um, because you saw how many lawyers didn't like being a lawyer and it launched her on a different journey. And I think I asked Marlo a couple times, you know, did you have this figured out? When you look back, did you know this is kind of what you wanted to be. And, and she said, no, I, th- I think for her, it was just kind of always an evolution. And I think um, for those of you that are looking to uh, figure out what you want to do with your career, she gives some really practical advice uh, on how to get started. So, um, and, cont- and continue the journey as you're going. So uh, check it out. Hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. All right. Marlo Fogelman, welcome. Beers and careers. Cheers. Hi, cheers. Thanks for having me. Yes, thanks for joining us. Um, we usually start beers and careers with a couple quick hitting questions. Go for it. So I got to get to know you. And in true beers and careers style, what is your favorite drink? I'd have to say probably a Campari soda. Ah, that's the first. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Now, do you like a Negroni? Will you go? I, no, I'll drink a Negroni for okay. sure, but I just to have like something light to start the night. Yes. Campari soda is typically where I land. Dig that. Um, do you have a favorite curse word? Fuck yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that one is the perennial favorite. Um, are you a quote person? Do you get any? Like quote person. Like motivational quotes, that kind of stuff? No, there? I know. Like successory style posters around the office. Yes, no. yes. No. Okay. I mean, I have quotes that resonate with me and um, the what's tagline not tagline that's not the right word but um, motto of the company is um, don't stop till you're proud ah I like that yeah I like that um, what was your first job I think my first job was when I was in college I mean other than like babysitting when I was you know yes living at home um, my first real job where I got a paycheck was at a pizza restaurant in East Lansing, Michigan, when I was at Michigan State. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. That's awesome. Do, do you, I don't know, are you an avid reader? Favorite book? Book you're reading now, maybe? Favorite book. You don't want to know the book I'm reading now. Um, Why? Too technical or not? I'm not going to. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to. Um, favorite book. What would I have a favorite book? I mean, like the classics, like, and, uh, Jane Austen, you know, that kind okay. of stuff, but nothing that jumps out. To nothing that jumps out. Okay. Hey, totally cool. Uh, I used to read a lot more when I had more time. One day I'll read again when I'm retired, hopefully not in the not-too-distant future. I find I find that in the summertime, I don't read at all, which I believe is probably the opposite of most people. It's so weird. I find myself so much more busy in the summertime yeah, than yeah. But uh, pretty cool. Now, you... Founded and own Marlowe Marketing. It'd be pretty cool if I started working there, and it was called Marlowe Marketing. Right. Yeah, I right. founded it 2004. Talk, talk to us about um, maybe 
the quick overview of how you got to where you are today. So you graduated college and like to tell me about that journey. Graduated college, moved to Boston to go to law school, graduated okay. BU law school, took the bar exam in New York and Massachusetts, passed them both on the first try, not, <laughs> I will say. Not a big deal. And apologies in advance for the coffee and that will uh, probably be happening throughout this. Um, and decided I didn't know if I really wanted to practice law and kind of messed around for a couple of years, couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. And then a friend of mine who was a lawyer found an ad in Lawyers Weekly for a PR firm in Boston. And she said, you would be perfect for this job. You should apply. And I said, I don't know what PR is. I've never heard of that because I'm so old. We didn't have the internet. We didn't, mm. like PR wasn't, it wasn't a common thing. I applied and they had 500 lawyers apply for that job, which was more applications than they'd ever gotten for any position. And I got it. And I didn't really know why or what it was, but I figured if 499 other lawyers were that unhappy practicing law, why should I even try it? So I took mm -hmm. it. The reason they wanted a lawyer was because they were looking um, for somebody to work in certain industries, professional services, law firms, energy companies, that kind of thing. Um, but long story short, Starbucks came into New England in 1995 by mm -hmm. buying a small six-unit chain of coffee shops called Coffee Connection, which was owned by George Howell, and who now, if you or a coffee connoisseur anywhere in Boston, you've probably been to one of George Howell's shops. And they came in and just really messed it up. People here didn't know what handcrafted espresso beverages were because all they drank was Dunkin' Donuts. Right. And they went through five PR firms in five years, hiring and firing every year. They were at that agency that I started at and they'd been there six months and they weren't happy. So even at that point, I knew enough people in Boston that um, that people would say to the president of the company, oh, you're so lucky to have Marlo, she's amazing, you know, whatever. So I think they were like, you know what, let's put her on Starbucks. If she fucks it up, we're going to lose it anyway, we'll fire her. And instead, I turned it around in three months, basically by myself, and ended up keeping that account for five years, moving twice. Um, and started my agency about four and a half years later. Very cool. That's how I got into it. So you, yeah, wow. So, first... Why BU from Michigan? Why BU Law School? Yeah. I don't know. Um, I, I uh, have always just felt a kinship with certain places. Um, I don't know. I probably lived here in a past life or something. Yeah. I didn't really, I wasn't dying to go to law school, but I didn't really know what else to do. So I figured if I got into school in Boston, then I would do it. Okay. Yeah. And what, like, was there something along your undergraduate journey that made you say, hey, I'm going to give law a shot? I saw your pre-law. Well, it, it had always, yeah, it was pre-law. Yeah. I mean, it had always been like, oh, I'm going to be a lawyer. I yeah. don't know why, why, I don't know. Okay, um, yeah, just kind of. Yeah, everybody, oh, Marla would be a great lawyer. I can make convincing arguments, you know, whatever. Yes. Um, but, yeah, you know, people put you on a certain path, and yes. you don't really know what other path to be on. I did, I took a year off between undergrad and law school because I spent my junior year abroad and when I stayed extra because I didn't want to leave, I was in Paris. And when I came back, I had to take a year in between because um, I hadn't taken the uh, LSAT. And during that year, I lived at home and I worked at a malpractice, what was it? Not malpractice, it was asbestos like litigation, oh. like this class action yes. lawsuit yes. as a paralegal basically. And let's just say I didn't really enjoy it. Mm. So that was sort of my experience going into it. And I did a dual degree. I got a I got my law degree, but I also did a master's in international relations at the same time. BU has that program. Okay. So my thought had always been to do more international European Union work. Mm. Um, so 
That was the goal. And uh, I got to ask about the year abroad. Mm -hmm. I did something similar. What was the motivation between doing that? Just always had a love of travel, or just wanted to live in Paris? Yeah, do something different. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I always had traveled. I traveled. I lived in Paris a couple times when I was in high school for a summer, like exchange programs. Okay. Um, I don't know. Again, I, these yeah. things that take you over when you're a kid, and I, when I go back and think about why I wanted to do that, I have no idea. Mm. But you know, I just chalk it up to past lives. So yeah. And call it a day. Yeah, right, exactly. Not too much put too much thought in it. Um, do you ever reflect upon uh, things that have gone on in your career as like, do, do you ever flash back to times in Paris or abroad from an inspiration standpoint or from a learning standpoint? Because it's, it's an interesting topic that's come up often on the podcast is traveling. I think from a lot, I mean, certainly going abroad by yourself. Yes. I mean, I was in program, you know, program, but you're by yourself, um, not knowing anybody is you know it certainly challenges you to figure things out mm. right um and be open to meeting new people and new experiences sort of all of that i mean paris what paris really did for me i think but that benefited me both in my senior year of college and law school in particular was it taught me how to study it taught me how to incorporate and actually work too when i started the company because obviously as an entrepreneur you work a ton of hours right and paris what i really learned in paris was how to incorporate <coughs> excuse me, incorporate um, work into your life. Mm. So instead of sort of having, and not to say that I'm not a fan of balance, I am, but to think that balance needs to be nine to five work and then you know five to nine the rest of your life can be very stifling. And I think a lot of people learn that during COVID, right? Yes. When they were able to do things, um, like throw a lot of laundry in at three o'clock or yes. be there when their kid gets home. Um, what Paris taught me was really how to do that. So going and studying, my favorite place to be when I was there was at the Pompidou Center. They had, it was a hundred year, hundredth anniversary of Warner Brothers that year. So they had this year long oh. exhibition of like all of these old classic movies that I'm totally into. So you could go for like five dollar, whatever, very cheap and watch a movie. And then I would go up to a different floor and study. And then I'd go to a different floor and listen to records because records were a thing back then. Yes. Um, and then meet a friend for dinner and then go home and study more and so it was just that incorporation of how you can it doesn't have to be so black and white yes. when you study when you when you have fun when you work when you you know live your life right like it almost um, making it your lifestyle exactly as, as opposed to the other way around that's very cool I, just your immersion in French culture, that's the way they live their lives, is that why it happened or because of the program you were in? I don't think it was because of French culture necessarily. Um, I don't know why it happened there and not not before. I don't know, I mean, yeah. I think it was just that probably there was more to do there. Yes. Than, you know, or more places to explore, more ways to incorporate, you know, life into work, mm -hmm. so to speak. Um, but yeah, it was definitely a seminal point of my life to help uh, me get through the hours required of being an entrepreneur. Right. So I, I want to hear a little bit more about the creation and the current journey that is Marlo, but I got to ask, like, as someone who drinks Starbucks coffee, like, talk to me about that turnaround, and that had to be a serious uh, immersion and learning. It was hot. I mean, Starbucks, it was interesting because I'm from Michigan. We had one Dunkin' Donuts, and it was okay. disgusting. Like, <laughs> nobody drank coffee out of the home, like, at that point. Okay, you know? yeah. 
and it wasn't even like good donuts like maybe you would go there like once a year and so when I came here I didn't really understand and I wasn't a coffee drinker I didn't okay. drink coffee um, still to this day? no I drink I mean I during COVID I started drinking it every day before okay. COVID I, I didn't ah interesting um, but back when I did Starbucks work, they used to give, at that point, a free half pound of coffee every week to every partner, wow. um, internal or external, and I didn't drink it. I would drink like, I don't know, a, you know, latte, yeah. cocoa, whatever, like the froofy stuff. Um, but I wasn't drinking coffee then. Um, so they just went through, you know, there were very few people that knew what that kind of beverage was. Every deck we would get out of um, Seattle you know, was like New Englanders like their coffee sweet and creamy, aka the Dunkin' regular, right? Mm. And so it was that the people who did know what those beverages were were the people who had been customers of Coffee Connection. Yes. And those were the people that they pissed off in how they entered the market. And so um, it was just a lot of education. Uh, you know, we weren't curing cancer, we were selling a cup of coffee, right? Yeah. How do you explain why it's worth? whatever it was worth at the time, three bucks, four bucks, yeah. um, for a cup of coffee. Um, and I found, you know, my success with that account, because it was all of New England. <coughs> and, you know, I opened the first store in the state of Vermont, um, which you would think there would have been a lot of pushback in Vermont, right, right. you know, but with a year of planning, we opened up and they welcomed us with open arms. Um, Burlington? Burlington, yeah. 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 Um, you know, stores in Rhode Island, stores in Metro West, the first store in the Worcester area in Auburn, um, and then a lot of the stores in the city, um, you know, the South End, the North End, the Back Bay, you know, a lot of areas. And a lot of it was just walking the walk, not just talking the talk, and going in and connecting with um, community members that were important in each of these communities, and quite, you know, directly asking how we could help and what mm. do they need and mm. then doing it and it's you know it's it, it, then this was 20 years 22 years ago I mean the bar has gotten even lower in my opinion over you know that how how people work and so it, you needed money great let's you know auction off a, a espresso machine mm. you need books great we'll do a collection you need you know whatever and really being that true partner um, and I was fortunate at the time that the team that I worked with, uh, the ad agency was out of New York and the client was based in Toronto. She was amazing. She went on to become the VP of International Marketing out of Seattle. Um, you know, everybody was great. We worked really well together and um, were able to go in and, and do what we said we were going to do. Mm. So what I'm hearing from you is like your strategy was to evangelize the community, so to speak. And it sounds like the other five firms before you were just using traditional marketing channels to try to kind of shove it down people's throats. Like, where do you think they made their missteps? Obviously, not evangelizing the community, but yeah. what was their strategy? That I don't know. Actually. Okay, I don't but, even know who they all were. I, you know, I just yeah, came in. Sometimes that's better, right? Yeah, you know, I my client when I came in during that first three months when I turned it around, the actual client had been on maternity leave. Okay. So that's when um, the woman from Toronto, who actually, who eventually went on to become the client, um, when the other woman uh, left, was um, so it was in charge. And so after three months, when the client came back from maternity leave, it was just like raves. I'm so excited. You've done mm -hmm. such a great job. I can't wait to work with you. So it had been a big, and she had been with, with 
got Starbucks since the company had launched in this market. So, wow. um, you know, I think I think PR and marketing. I think uh, it's sort of become my mission to prove that marketing can be done thoughtfully and strategically with an eye towards ROI, whatever that might be, mm-hmm. whether it's evangelizing a community, um, you know, or driving sales or whatever it is. Um, because a lot of people really don't do it well. A lot yes. of people, everybody thinks they're marketing genius, and right. guess what? Right. They're not. How do you, how would you define a marketing genius as someone who's living in? A- I don't know how I would define it, um, but it's just somebody who, you know, listens. There's you know, again, I had never taken a class in this. It's not like I said, we're not curing cancer. This is not right. rocket scientist science. Um, but you know, I clearly have a a knack for it, if you will. Yeah. You know, um, I think it's a lot of common sense. I think it's a lot of empathy. I think it's a lot of really understanding what the client's business goals are, mm. and spending their money and their resources in a way that is designed to achieve those goals. Um, and I think it's being transparent and authentic. And you know, authenticity is a word that I think gets thrown a lot, thrown around a lot uh, these days. Um, you know, I've, I am actually accused oftentimes of being too authentic or too, too straightforward, too transparent. But I would prefer to <coughs> prefer to be that way than um, than you know the, the opposite. Yes, now that that makes a lot of sense. Has your focus? I know Starbucks, and I saw on your LinkedIn of all places the focus on kind of CPG and hospitality lifestyle and CPG yeah. are our focus. Okay, so that you, so always to the consumer. B2C. We, we do B2B. I mean, there's okay. some, we've done more in the past. We, um, when I started the company, we expanded into all sorts of areas. And then in 2019, we looked at our revenue. We were like, 90% of our business is coming from these three categories. You know, why, why are we wasting our time with other stuff, right? We'd get this great client, a B2B client in, you know, dental something. Yeah. And then we'd lose a client or whatever. And then all that knowledge would just go to waste. So we were like, why don't we just go all in in what we do really well? Mm. And we redid the website and launched it, I think, January of 2020. Very cool. Which was a great time to be in yeah. the hospitality market. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> perfect. Now, I'm interested to hear more about that, but what was the, what was the reason or the, uh, the moment where you were like, I'm going to do this on my own? Um... It had never been a desire. I had never been like the kid selling newspapers or, you know, cupcake, you know, sales, whatever. Um, But when I was at that first company, um, let's just say it wasn't, our values weren't aligned. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to move on. Starbucks had agreed to come with me. It was about two years. (coughs) And... um, even though I was doing everything and managing everything, I don't think the client actually believed that because yeah. how is this 29-year-old, 30-year-old doing this? Um, I was, so she said she'd, cu- she'd come and give me six months. And then I ended up um, meeting this woman who had a small three-person, three-four-person integrated agency. And that was an area that I wanted to learn more about. It's um, not beyond just the traditional PR. And couldn't she couldn't afford me, but I brought Starbucks and I covered my salary, and I helped raise the profile of the company, and um, you know took a lot of the stress off to have somebody who knew what they were doing, 
And it became clear after a while that she was the kind of person who would rather have all of nothing than some of a lot. So mm. I was like, all right, if I'm going to work this hard, then why don't I just do it for myself? Yeah. And so Starbucks agreed to come with me, um, and a few other clients followed as well, and I started the agency. So there was no real... Yeah, uh, was I, I had no desire to do this. I, being an entrepreneur was hard as shit. Yeah. Um, it was just something that... Um, the opportunity was there, and 18 mm. and a half years later, yeah, here we are. It doesn't sound like it fell into your lap either. You've certainly worked for it, but it's funny because I've had a bunch of people on the podcast that have started companies, and for them, it's been like there's a guy on last week, and he was talking about how like he thought about not going to college because he was already doing this side hustle that it turned in. He was like, I'll still go to college, but in reality, he spent his four years building his business and continuing on it. And it sounds like for you, it was a little bit of a uh, lightning striking. A, getting into marketing. Yeah. And then B, kind of being like, I don't want to, you almost like eliminated other variables along the way, being like, well, if I'm going to do this. Yeah, I mean, opportunities were given to me for sure. Um, but had I not taken advantage of them, yeah, yeah. well, yes. you know, then, you know, listen, if in, not one person in the 18 and a half years that I've had this company and I have amazing staff and I've always had really really high quality a really high quality team not one person has come to me and said hey let me bring you a national brand mm. I'm gonna pay for myself right. their retainer is gonna go to my salary right. and I'm gonna help you grow the business nobody's done that you know it's not it's not usual it's not it's not standard and so um, yeah I mean I think I think it kind of just I think things happen for a reason mm -hmm. um, and I work really hard and it's benefited me and a lot of people uh, yeah no it sounds that way do you how uh, the goal of the podcast was always to kind of inspire folks to make career action or to really help people in the recent college grad recent high school grad category like can you share maybe um, from someone who's lived it for more than 20 years, like, how do you see marketing changing and evolving and oh kind of where it's going? Like, marketing has changed. I mean, I'm sure there's other industries that have changed just as quickly, but my, yeah. I mean, what it was when I started versus what it is now. You know, when I started, it was it was very, very straightforward, to mm. be honest, right? It mm. was paid advertising or earned media. Yeah. That was basically it. Yeah. And earned media meant a lot. Um, Define earned media? Uh, an article in a magazine, yes. a TV okay. show, or yeah. whatever. <coughs> so, with all of the advent of social and digital marketing and so many different things to do now, opportunities, it's very hard to, um, you know, if you spread your budget too thin, you're, you're watering it down. And, um, and it's hard. It's hard to know yeah. how to reach the people that you're trying to reach. Um, and the other thing that's changed a lot in marketing, we I joke about this sometimes with some of my senior um, team, you know, I call it, it calls unicorns. We can do everything. We can write. We can pitch. We can, you know, advertise paid media. We can create social content. We can do everything. And a lot of the younger people now are like, I just want to do social media. Mm. That's all I want to do. Wait, what? That's all you want to do for the rest of your life is create content yeah. for social? All right, that's cool, you know, but um, marketing has become so fragmented that it's just changed um, a lot of the industry. We had a, a new business call, something that we didn't end up getting, um, which actually I am not disappointed about, 
the director of marketing for the company, her only marketing job had been directing the loyalty program mm. for a brand. And yeah, that's one part of marketing. Right. But to have somebody who that's their only experience go and expect to know how to build a brand, like there's just a lot of steps that, mm. in my opinion, are missing. Would you then parlay that thought process into advice for folks interested in, um, maybe inspired by your story to want to get into marketing, but would you say get, I'd say, get a lot of experience? I would say get a lot of experience. Yeah. Try lots of different things, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and even if you love social, creating social content, maybe that's not the only thing to do, you know? Ultimately, I think at the end of the day, and the reason that people who sort of had that PR background, if you will, it's about the story. Yes. And if you don't know how to tell the story, regardless of then through which channels, and there are so many more channels today than there were 20 years ago, if you don't know how to tell the story, um, you're, you're putting information out that's not gonna be as impactful or effective, regardless mm. of what channel you're using. So knowing how to tell a story and communicate a brand's differentiators and why somebody ultimately should care about it, in my opinion, is the most important thing. Mm. How, how do you keep up with it all? Like, it, it's got to be hard to stay on the forefront of all the new, even just tools within digital marketing, which, yeah. I, which from the layman's point of view, seems to be just one segment of yeah. your yeah. your work. Like, well, you read a lot. I mean, I'm not yeah. going to claim that I'm an expert in any of it. Yeah. I, 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 my knowledge is very um, general and you know, broad, but I, I, know, I know what a brand should be doing mm. um, based on what their goals are. And then I bring in my team who are experts in that area, okay. you know. So um, even, you know, a lot of our work that we do from our outsourced, we, we do a lot of fractional CMO work okay. and <coughs> each <coughs> execution, excuse me. Um, and so, like, for that, we're, my team, my hospitality team is, like, building loyalty programs for restaurant brands. Mm. and being the one that's determining which tech solution should be used. So okay. every year at the National Restaurant Show in Chicago, you know, there's two or three of them walking the tech app booth, which is mm. a huge floor there. Um, that, I mean, talk about how industries change. 15 years ago, you went to the restaurant show, there weren't tech booths, you right. know what I mean? Like right. maybe there was constant contact, I don't know. It wasn't what it is now when, you know, 15, 20 years ago, it would have been chocolate purveyors, seafood purveyors, you know, um, pots and pan, you know, makers, and now it's tech, 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 tech. Yeah. So, um, you know, just being able to really understand both the, you know, what the challenges and the needs of our clients, as well as behind the scenes, as well as, um, you know, marketing to the consumer. Do you think there's an over infatuation with tech and marketing for the non, you, you know, uh, okay, let me back that up and ask it a more coherent way. Um, I think I know what you're asking me, but go ahead. Yeah, like, 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 I think there's a lot of people, um, I think certainly in the small to medium-sized business category where marketing doesn't always have a seat at the very top, and so you've got other people kind of, which is a problem in and of itself, right? But then beyond that, they're really getting inundated with the tools of marketing. Yeah. Do you feel like that's really a lot of noise? Yeah. And I, I get the sense from you, you you're like, no, no, no. I care about the story I'm telling and if tools are the way well, in which I do it. Well, but right. But if you don't have yeah. the story and you have the tools, then what are you achieving? Exactly. You know? So, um, 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think tech gets confusing. I think people want to be tech companies. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've even had clients that were literally B2C brands selling things, jewelry, clothes, makeup, and they considered themselves tech companies. Mm. And they started, when they first started, they hired tech PR firms, PR mm. firms that specialize specifically in tech. And they weren't successful. Yeah, because they get them business news and, yeah. you know, um, pieces about their raise and whatever, sure. But, like, that's not really hard. You raise 20 million, you know, 100 million, you're going to get covered by that. But when you're trying to sell diamond rings to, you know, guys to buy for their <coughs> their girlfriend when they wanted to propose, if you're not talking to those guys, you're mm. not, and they don't know how to do that. Yes. So, so a lot of times that happened where brands purported to be tech companies and they weren't. You're mm. selling something to the consumer, you're selling jewelry, you're selling t-shirts, you're selling something. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, I think I think tech gets gets confusing. Yeah, no business categories. No business journey. That's yeah. that's really interesting. Well I guess you you referenced COVID earlier, but like you've had a front row seat to hospitality marketing. Yeah pre, during, and post-pandemic, like, can you share um, what you learned? Because I think there's probably stuff that's applicable for the other, for business leaders who maybe were not as affected, we were all affected by COVID, but, I mean, hospitality certainly took Yeah, I mean, hospitality, yeah, hospitality took the brunt of it, um, that's a, a lot. I mean, and it's, it's challenging now, too. It's getting better, but, you know, the workforce is it's so hard to yeah. hire people that even and and places can't open up at normal hour. and then places in the downtown areas where workers aren't back yes. you know five days a week yes. so you know at a certain point the question becomes do I need to spend money on marketing because I don't need anywhere but I can't handle any more business even if I wanted to mm. I can't handle it because I can't find the staff mm. hotels and restaurants and you know, all those places you read about articles in the summer, places on the Cape that, you yes. know, were open two days a week because oh. they literally couldn't find people to, no to staff it. Um, and, you know, I think we're just going to have to wait and see what happens with um, with sort of urban areas, you know, but a lot of those those brands are, are impacted. Mm. So, um, and then, of course, inflation and, you know, rising cost of goods. And, you know, I saw a friend, I was at um, the restaurant finance conference in Vegas, last week, saw a friend who owns a ton of restaurants in Chicago and I think Dallas, other markets across the country, and he was saying that his uh, top line revenue has never been higher, but his actual profit mm. has never been lower. Mm. So that, I think, speaks to what Such the restaurants are. Yeah. Such a squeeze. It's, that is really interesting. As a person who lives in the city, so my perspective, right, I, I, I've traveled much more in the last 18 months than I have probably previous in my work life, mm -hmm. you know, always been excited to get out of Boston for, for the sake of travel in general. But like, it certainly appears in the last six to 10 months that, you know, the airport's busier, mm -hmm. the cities are more full, it's more difficult to get reservations. How do you, how do you see, how are you seeing it? Do you, do you it doesn't sound like it's funny because it feel, things feel busy, but is it busy because there's less options? <laughs> you know, like, it, Maybe. that's, that's yeah. I'm interested in. I mean, I split my time between Boston and New York, and I will tell you, New York, where it was never hard to find a place. Yes. Late night, right? You want to get a drink at 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock. Yeah. Even, not even, like, I'm not talking 2 o'clock in the morning. We're talking mm -hmm. about 10, 11 o'clock. 
like places are closing earlier. Mm. You know, there was an article in the New York Times a couple months ago about how, I don't know, eight o'clock is a new, six o'clock is a new eight o'clock for reservations because people are working from home all day. Yes. So they can go to dinner at six o'clock and, you know, they don't have to get home and change and, you know, whatever, and then go back out. So um, I think there's definitely been a shift. Um, we'll see, you know, how that, how that, how that plays out. As far as travel, um, I was actually traveling all during the summer of 2020. Okay. And for a client that we got two weeks after COVID hit. And uh, it was amazing in many ways because there was just nobody in the airport. Yeah, like so I, had, I had my own private plane. Yes. It was amazing. Thank you, Delta. <laughs> I, really a good customer. Um, you know, and so yeah, is it busier now from, from that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think a, ch a challenge with flying and with hotels and the entire travel experience now is goes back to what we were talking about with restaurants, staffing, mm -hmm. um, and and uh, ability to just handle that kind of pre-COVID traffic at, yeah. with demand, current, yeah, just straight, yeah, de just exactly. straight demand. The, the as a person who geeks out over labor statistics in the yeah. world that I'm in. Um, <laughs> It really looks like there's no end in sight either. It just like it, regardless of the uh, economic turbulence, there are just too many jobs. The economy is too hot in the post-COVID era, and there are just not enough human beings to well, make. We'll see. Maybe all those people room. who got fired from uh, Meta and Twitter, and I know. I'm sure that's going to be helpful for your industry. It, w it will be helpful. You know what's funny is our business is always kind of uh, well. I've been so interested by some of that turnover too. Like the Amazon uh, mm -hmm. had a big layoff. And when I read into it, it seemed like it was, Twitter's its own world right yeah, now. Yeah. Right? But like Amazon seemed like, from what I read, I believe it was like really the R&D unit that was focused on the Amazon Alexa AI. Mm -hmm. Kind of, like I kind of put that in the R&D category. Yeah. I think they had lost like $5 billion in the last five years. So it seemed like they were punting on investments longer term. Our clients that are like in the, I make a pr an actual tangible product world, and someone buys it, uh, medical devices, defense and aerospace. Those companies, um, I don't think it's fair to characterize them as inelastic, but they haven't really lost the the pulse just yet. So I'm interested to see how it all kind of transpires over time. Um, it's the saddest part about immigration reform that's not yeah. talked about because. We to the point of your conversation, we certainly need <laughs> you. Oh, my puppy. <laughs> your puppy is so cute, by the way. This is the first puppy on the podcast. Yeah, she's only 15 weeks. I got her a month ago tomorrow, and I can't leave her alone because she freaks <laughs> the fuck out. So, yeah, so. It's, it's the best. She's got a little cough, too. <laughs> it's the, it's RSV that, is just going around. It's that It's that early, uh, early winter vibes in yeah, New England. Yeah. No, I, I mean, hiring and hiring at a certain level. I mean, that's why our, our outsourced marketing, we just launched a new website, Outsourced Hospitality Marketing, which okay. is basically what Marlowe Marketing does. Uh, anyway, it's my same team. I'm just marketing it differently. So instead of having to go to Marlowe Marketing and dig into it, it's just yeah. like here in your face. Yeah. But it's fractional CMO and execution because for a brand to hire a CMO or a director of marketing in this market, you're, who knows what they're doing? you're easily spending over 300000 Right. And then that person's not going to do all the work, so they're right. going to have to go and hire agencies like mine or build a team, 
So depending on the industry, you're spending 7,800 grand before you've even done anything. Right. And if you make the wrong choice in that CMO, then you're totally screwed. And I've seen clients do that and mm -hmm. completely has destroyed their business. So yes. what, you know, what we had been doing um, pre-COVID and then really went all in during COVID is coming in and, and creating that strategic, <coughs> excuse me, that strategic level plan. Mm. <coughs> <You're good. coughs> drink, we can edit all this out, just drink right now. <coughs> you can edit this out? Mm -hmm. We can try. Sorry. <laughs> when it comes, I come. Oh, that's the, it's got to be like the uh, most frustrating part of the cold weather season is just the turning on of like, how did I feel this way? This was from Vegas, I think. They're telling me that this shit's going to work when, Goldie, move your butt, when I get a coughing attack. Mm. I feel like inhalers make me cough when I'm just trying, they're trying to make me stop coughing. <laughs> Honestly, I don't know what works. <laughs> the placebo effect is real. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, for brands of a certain set, is it the right fit for McDonald's? Of course not. McDonald's needs a CMO. They have 100%. the need of a 40 hour a week, you know, obviously at that level, you're working more than 40 hours a week. Um, CMO, uh, but brands of a certain size, they don't need 40 hours a week of strat you know, strategic thinking. Yes. They need a plan against budget designed to deliver ROI. Right. right. You know, and once you put that plan in place, then they need execution. And so we've been doing more and more of that in senior living, in mm. hospitality, QSR, fine dining, um, and it's been it's been very well received. Interesting. Do you, um, since I've got a marketing expert here, I'm going to ask a fairly ignorant question. How do you like? Uh, okay, oftentimes as someone who leads a business, I get demoed with a tool or something to improve my customer or candidate's journey, <coughs> and I just think to myself, I would never use that. Like for me, that isn't that wouldn't work. I feel like in marketing, you have to have your pulse on the consumer and and the trends of the marketplace. Do you have any mechanisms you use other than like the obvious one being data, like unbiased data and reporting? Does your own personal bias come in to like when you're trying to make decisions on how to reach a yeah, you know, I mean, I'm an sure, audience? I'm sure. You know, even if I said no, I'm sure right. that's bullshit. I'm right. sure that you know. I think everybody does. Um, you it's know, not front of mind for you though. You're not. No, okay. I mean, because, you know, we might do something, you know, for example, we launched a brand concept in D.C. last year, and we did a direct mail campaign, and we designed this gorgeous direct mail piece, which, you know, people would say direct mail is so passe, right? But yeah. in certain situations, right? <clears throat> and so the, the challenge <coughs> with the concept is that it's in a, it opened during COVID, and it was in a, a commercial area. And so we needed to hit the residents who lived within a mile of this this location, and we feel like, oh, direct mail will be the way to do that. And so we designed this gorgeous thing, and the direct mail uh, company, the guy was like, listen, I've been doing this for 30 years, and yours isn't going to work. It's too pretty. Like, this mm. is what it needs to be in order for this to work. And we are like, 
okay, like we're penny, you know, spending the money. I want it to work, so go ahead, design it. Designed it. I was mortified. It was so <laughs> but we sent it out, and it actually didn't work. Um, mm. So it wasn't the design. Yeah. It wasn't you know. I don't know if our design would have worked better. Um, you know, it it didn't it didn't bring in the kind of revenue that we would have thought. You know, so I think a lot of marketing is. Um, you know, d- trying things now, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and um, it's always been about trying. You, yeah. you know, but um, even even more so. Um, and then, as far as you know, what's the what are the tools? I think it goes back to the same thing we were talking before about technology, right? I mean, there's <coughs> technology tools. There's all sorts of things, and we'll we'll um, uh, you know try things out. And you know, we just tried out this social media platform. This guy I met. And we tried it on a client. I invested the money to try, and it wasn't worth it. Did yeah. it save us a hundred bucks? Maybe. Yeah. Was that worth it? Right. No. No. It's just easier for us to do it in, in better quality. So, you know, we we learn about a lot of them, and we try some, and we, you know, either stick with or not. But mm-hmm. just testing and evaluating. Okay. So, what's next for Marla Marketing? Other um, than retiring, you other than too. retiring, I can't wait. Um, yeah, I mean, I think this outsourced hospitality marketing is really exciting to me right now, um, and really just going sort of all in on that, okay. um, especially building out senior living. It's a mm-hmm. really interesting category for, for us right now, um, and I think hospitality, and the reason we, we named it, so OHM, OM, like yeah. basically, oh, yeah. you know, you're sort of, don't have to worry about your marketing, because yes. it's under... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but also we went all in on the word hospitality because it's not necessarily just restaurants. You know, I think a yeah. lot of hospitality as a, as a category, if you will, is um, being more and more thrown around in areas that you wouldn't necessarily have thought of before as hospitality. Mm. You know, so, um, and senior living is definitely one 100% of those, one of those categories. Category, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's, I'm excited to see, to see where that will take us in the new year. And you've got some economic wins behind that too, right? I mean, like the, there's just more and more people going to be living in those centers, yeah, and you know they're course. being built everywhere you turn in yeah. New England. It seems yeah. like there's another one popping up. Um, for someone who went and got their law degree and uh, did it mean to get into marketing, um, how's it, do you ever like like are you? Uh, are you reflective? Do you ever ask yourself that question? Like, how did I end up doing this? Or are you? It seems like you love it. You know a lot about it, but like. No, I mean, I think to your point, you know, there was a seminar that I went to in New York years ago, and it was, it was I was probably in my late thirties at the time, and most of the people in there were in their twenties. This restaurant hospitality thing, and the guy had this couple slides, and he was like, "This is what everybody thinks their career is going to look like," and it was like just a mm. straight up and down slide. And they switched the, <coughs> like a slide, meaning like a, yeah. a, a ladder, not a ladder, a ladder. And then they switched the slide, and he's like, and this is what everybody's career path looks like. And it was like a ladder that was like all twisting, turning, you oh, know, yeah. whatever. And so, you know, I feel really grateful that I, I fell into something um, that other people saw in me, skills mm-hmm. that I didn't know or recognize, or, you know, I would never have thought that I should be in this particular industry because I didn't even know what it was. Yes. Um, and so, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, when I'm trying to mentor 
some of my staff or you know other friends kids or you know whatever it's trying to help them understand what they're good at mm. you know what comes to them naturally because um, you don't know you don't you need help yeah. gaining that self-awareness and I think uh, what I love about your story is it's a perfect example of um, uh, I, I was privileged to go to like a Catholic prep high school locally and then a uh, more of a liberal arts college, so I almost kind of went the other way, right? A lot of structure early on, and then like you know, Buddhism, philosophy, and math in college. But um, there's a lot of societal pressure on figure out what you want to do, and uh, and most people don't know what they want to do. And then yet, I, I meet so many people um, years into their careers who are loving what they do that had these non-linear career paths to get there. And I, I just think your story is an excellent example of that. So. Thanks for sharing your story and coming on the podcast and, uh, and sharing it with everyone. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. One, one quick question since i got to ask you. You said you split your time between Boston and New York, but like, what do you have a loyalty there? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody always asks me that. Um, you know, I say, I say it's because I love both places and I can. <laughs> and I feel very fortunate. Yes. Um, that I can do both. So no, no loyalty. I gotta think that um, you probably draw inspiration from both too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Pre- yeah. Too. And there, and as much as we uh, like to joke about one being so different than the other, man, they're pretty much. Uh, they're, we got a lot of uh, things that are the same. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, Marlo, thanks again for coming on, Thank and uh, you. wish you and the next chapter of Marlo the best. Wonderful. Thanks so much. No worries. Take care.